0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript.
1: I'm really excited to say we're now going to be hearing from David Bickford. Now, he was formerly Undersecretary of State and the Legal Director of the intelligence agencies MI5 and MI6. Currently, he advises on countering money laundering, and he's also a fiction author. We're going to get to that. So he's a man who has done quite a bit in his time. Now, it did get me thinking, MI5, MI6, you're both... British, do you know the difference between the two? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> really? I was hoping I you wouldn't ask. <laughs> no, I didn't know if this was one of those things that people actually understood or it, if it was just me. Is one of them more secretive? <laughs> Maybe. I think they're both pretty secretive. But MI5 is all on domestic security and counterterrorism within the UK. Ah. MI6 is all with intelligence gathering and operations abroad. Right. That's Which what James Bond, J- James Bond works for exactly, right, right. very mi Exactly. Just very geographic. That's the difference. Okay. Now, how does one get into the world of intelligence? What do you think? ay yeah <laughs> this is what I'm working with today I I, I get where we are (laughs) maybe I won't put any more questions out to you but I mean I should know better but I kind of always think of it as and this is obviously from the movies but you know you've just graduated you're like a doctoral student in university Mm. and somebody just kind of sidles up to you in your college campus we
0: interviewed years ago that guy who got approached over in the US Mm. his name escapes me now but he was tapped up while he was at Harvard I think or Yale maybe and he was tapped up by uh, KGB
1: And ended up being a spy. Do you remember? Yes. The the name escapes me. I need to dig it out. Barsky. 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 There we go. That's right. So we've actually featured him and he recalled how he was just a a regular
0: college student and he got approached.
1: So that's kind of what I thought is that they find you, right? They come to you. So I talked to David a little bit about his journey, about how he actually got into it. Now, he was a lawyer in private practice and he had one of those revelations that's, I think, familiar to most of us.
0: Uh, I came back to my wife one night and I said, you know, I've just seen my whole future. There's the partner, the senior partner, the consultant and the senior consultant. Anyway, a few days later, she came to me and said, look, there's an advertisement for a legal advisor in the Turks and Caicos Islands in the Caribbean. Why don't you go for it? Well, I did. And we had two fantastic years in the Caribbean. And then the Foreign Office asked me if I'd like to uh, join them as a legal advisor. And I thought that would be quite good fun. So I joined them and it was absolutely fascinating, obviously, really fascinating time. Went to Berlin uh, during the Cold War, which was pretty murky, as you can imagine. We were there for three years. When he says Caribbean, I just have this image of him playing high stakes poker at yeah. the Atlantis <laughs> Casino, a la James Bond. You, you know, know,
1: from some of the stories that he told me, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Cause I did get the sense that, you know, different times.
0: Oh, cool. Right. Right. I really
1: do get that. That something like
0: a holiday, that initial part. He yeah. said, we had one, We had two wonderful, <laughs> two wonderful years wonderful in the years. Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, of course yeah. you would.
1: But, you know, he just kind of essentially climbed the ladder into it. You know, he came back to the London Foreign Office, worked on some counterterrorism counter money laundering. And from there, that's when the intelligence agencies handpicked him and said, hey, will you come be our legal advisor? And Love so it. that's how it all happened. He actually just was a lawyer who made, happened to go abroad. He just took a chance on an adventure. And that's 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 how it all happened for him.
0: It sounds more like a civil servant climbing up the ladder than it does, you know, an international man of mystery. Exactly. Fascinating.
1: But, you know, you heard him there mention being in Berlin during the Cold War. He definitely found himself in some interesting situations. Now, what do you think that would have been like? Being in Berlin during the time of the Cold War, time of the Berlin Wall?
0: Lots of stories.
1: Yeah. Well, as a diplomat in that era, David and his family had a pretty unique experience from the rest, but he was still able to paint a bit of a picture for me about what it was like living there during that moment in history.
0: It's probably best summed up by by one one incident, which actually entailed my wife. Berlin at that time was split by the wall, which was covered in barbois and had gunitas and a armed guards overlooking a killing field, which is about 100 yards wide, to another fence. And anyone crossing from the east to the west was liable to be shot. And they still were shot while, while we were in Berlin at that time. Anyway, she took my son over to from west to east for the first time for a sleepover there with uh, a friend. And she came back and the armed guards at checkpoint Charlie, which was the checkpoint that they used to go through, stopped her. And this was quite quite a, a scene because the armed guards surround the car and they demand to know exactly what's been going on because Carrie had taken over two people and come back with one. And they had immediately suspected that she'd left probably a spy over in the east, eastern sector of Berlin. So they kept her there for about 20 minutes before they finally let her go. The next day, she went through Checkpoint Charlie again, and this was in the evening, so there were floodlights. And the floodlights cover the whole of Checkpoint Charlie. But once you get into the east side of Berlin, there are no lights at all, hardly anything. There's no advertising lights, just the odd street light. Very, very spooky scene indeed. Anyway, she collected uh, my son, brought him back through the first point of the East German guards at Checkpoint Charlie. They let her through the barrier and then stopped her in the um, no man's land. And they kept her there for about an hour with the searchlights just shining on the car and just two armed guards standing in front of the car. Finally, they let her go. Because presumably they had actually worked out that what, what had happened was my son had been taken over and brought back.
1: That was not quite the vignette I was expecting to hear. <sighs> and yet it does paint quite an interesting picture, a yeah. story that you don't typically hear. And that was, you know, the contrast you hear there of the killing fields, people being callously shot. And meanwhile, you know, a British expat of a wife who works in government and life is quite different. She's able to just kind of cross over for a sleepover. Oh, crazy, in, in a slightly yeah. problematic way, of course, but yeah, the fact yeah. that she would even think and was able to ultimately do it, she's going to casually take her son over for a one night sleepover when people, meanwhile, are getting shot as they try to cross over that wall. Wow. It's kind of a just fascinating, jarring, isn't it? jarring story. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, let's get to a pretty big and obvious question. It's Hollywood. How much does Hollywood get right? I have to say, surprisingly, it was more than I thought.
0: Some of it's the same. We like to think there's one big difference. That uh, we don't get caught, <laughs> but I think that's also summarised by my very very first operation, um, which was actually in the Caribbean, and we suspected a, a businessman who had a huge house, marble floors, gold taps in in five bathrooms, and we suspected that the money was coming from an illegal source because his his business didn't support the lifestyle he was. He was keeping. So we had a word with the FBI, and they immediately came to the conclusion, like we did, that he was actually trafficking um, narcotics from Columbia through the island in, into Miami. We set up a sting operation with the FBI, and they put in an informant who, who uh, contacted this suspect and arranged to meet him in his huge house overlooking the sea uh, well, we wired him up, and we were sitting in a house nearby, listening to the tape from the wire. Anyway, we hear him going into the house and being greeted by the suspect, who, who said immediately, oh, I'd like to come out onto the terrace, he said, because I've got a out there, and we can talk out there. So we heard him go out onto the terrace, the door opened, and there was nothing more than the sea crashing in onto the, onto the sand because the wind had changed from northeast to northwest. Sea crashing in, couldn't hear a word. Well, of course, that, that was a bit nerve-wracking because we weren't sure what was happening to our informant. Was he being picked up? Was he being suspected? Was he actually getting the information we wanted? And we didn't hear until a few days later when he met up with his handler and told him that actually the meeting had gone well and that he would arranged to meet the suspect in a hotel room in Miami where the deal was going to be concluded. Well, I went up to Miami and sat with the FBI in a next-door room to the hotel room they were meeting in, and we'd wired up the, the hotel room. Sure enough, there was the conversation absolutely clear that our suspect was trafficking drugs in exactly the way we suspected. FBI went in, arrested him and he was picked up and sent down for 10 years so in a way yes you've got the helicopters you've got the fast cars you've got the meetings of um officers with agents in the field which can sometimes be dangerous you also have the uh, surveillance uh, guys who are mobile surveillance particularly chasing up freeways, trying to keep out of sight of the people they're chasing. So yeah, you've got the fast cars, the helicopters, but uh, that's, that's as far as it goes.
1: He says that's as far as it goes, but that's basically everything. Totally what I heard wrong. from that yeah. anecdote was that Hollywood's got it completely
0: right. Yeah,
1: It sounds exactly straight out of a Hollywood movie plot, doesn't it? The
0: fast cars and the helicopters. Yeah, Big and drug just busts. the
1: sting operation, the informant, the informant that get pulled into a balcony, but they've lost him on the wire, so they don't know yeah. what's happened to him. You know.
0: that, is a, that is a plot in a film. I'm I think sure. So. The wind changed. We've lost the wire.
1: Exactly. I was pretty surprised. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to be like, oh, no, no. It's yeah. nothing like the movies. Whereas what he basically told us is it's exactly like the movies. <laughs> um, I didn't hear any, about any shark tanks or no. James <laughs> Bond no. supervillain layers. True. I mean, James Bond takes it to the, the next level, yeah. right? So I did ask, talking about James Bond, do they scoff at this over the top portrayal or is it something they all quite enjoy?
0: Well, I've got a personal view, because uh, when I was in my early teens, my godfather introduced me to Mickey Spillane, who I think is absolutely the best criminal writer of all time. I mean, the, his descriptions of New York in the rain at night in dodgy areas are absolutely unbeatable. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy James Bond. We all enjoy James Bond, but uh, we wouldn't like to be thought of to be anywhere near either his crazy episodes or the way he actually goes about treating people in his park.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No,
0: he's not. I mean he doesn't really James do things Bond, by not the book, real. does
1: he? No, not real, James Bond. <laughs> Talk about doing things by the book. I mean, getting back to the real world of intelligence. I, I tend to think of these agencies having as having extraordinary unchecked power sometimes. Mm. Especially when you think about the history. Mostly I think about US intelligence agencies. You had Operation Midnight Climax, which is a name that you just couldn't make up, the CIA actually, (laughs) it gave the CIA permission to test drugs on unknowing citizens against their knowledge back in the 50s. There have been quite a few other abuses of power throughout history, and so I thought, Is there too much power in the hands of intelligence agencies? And David, of course, saying they're in great pains taken to create a lot of balance, protect the rights of individuals, especially when it comes to UK intelligence. And so part of what he helped to do was introduce legislation, a legal base to show that any operations against an individual, first of all, had to be necessary. They had to prove that it was necessary. And whatever action you took against them had to be proportionate. So, you know, certain right. balances to make sure. And he said they're constantly walking that high wire of, of making sure they're protecting the rights of the individual, but also doing the counterterrorism and important work that they need to do at the same time. So, you know, they were constantly making sure those balances were respected. We did speak as well. I asked him about a time when things perhaps didn't go to plan because he told us there about a pretty successful sting operation. Yeah. But what about when it goes wrong? And I have to admit, the story that he told me was once again, not one that I was expecting.
0: It reminds me of, I think, probably almost the funniest episode I ever had. It was in the Caribbean, and Andy, the chief of police, came racing into my office. He said, follow me. Well, Andy was an ex-Marine, and he was very tough, and he's not the sort of person you say no to. So I followed him, and, and uh, we went straight up to the airport. And there I saw uh, Barclay, who was a well-known pilot. He used to be a very low one of the bomber pilots during the Second World, World War with a very good reputation. And we took off, and um, that was the first time I actually had a chance to ask Andy what, what was going on. And he said, we're going off to um, the Silver Banks because there's a Cuban fishing boat there. Well, the Silver Banks was a disputed area of, of coral reefs, very dangerous area of sea, but very good for fishing and it was disputed between Britain and and Cuba. Uh, So Andy said, well, we were going after this fishing boat. (laughs) I must say at that point, I thought to myself, well, the fishing boats on the sea were up in the air. How exactly is this going to work? So I asked him and he he pointed to his feet and he had a couple of plastic bags with uh, what he called yellow vegetable dye. And he said, what I've asked Barclay to do is to fly low over this boat. I'm going to drop this plastic bag of yellow dye overboard and I'm going to hit the boat. And when it goes into harbour in Cuba, we will be able to pick it up because the dye will be all over the boat and we'll be able to make our formal complaint to the Cubans. Well, Barclay went in for the first pass and and Andy dropped this bag and it missed. And there was this huge puddle of, of yellow dye spreading over the sea. Andy was absolutely curious at this, and he, he shouted at Barclay to get in lower and slower. Well, of course, we came in lower and slower, and Barclay, being a low-level pilot, it wasn't fussed about the fact that the stall signal was beeping like mad. He went over very slowly, and Andy dropped the bag, and this yellow dive missed. And All you could see was this boat calmly going on. LED, yellow dye everywhere, and he wasn't giving up. He 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 said, "Look, I said, I've absolutely had enough of this. I'm going to frighten this skipper to death." He said, "I want you to go in very, very low." And anyway, we went in very, very low. And the skipper looked up, and he was laughing. He gave us a very, very rude gesture, as we went by, <laughs> he just waved at us. That was that was the episode of the bombing of the Cuban fishing boat.
1: That wouldn't make it into a James Bond plot, no. would it? No. Not quite what you're expecting when we say we're going to hear from an intelligence yeah. director, was it? No, I wasn't expecting that at all. That's one so of that those was things. Sounds like Roger's
0: mechanic. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's exactly what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah,
0: Just produce the, the small hammer next time.
1: Yeah, you don't really expect, you know, you think of these kind of uh, jobs as being so high pressure, so planned. Yeah. You don't think of some random yeah. slapdash <laughs> yeah. operation that no some way. one man kind of vigilante I'm is like, going I'm not surprised he was in the Caribbean, boat. you know. Yeah. Again, it just <laughs> underlines
0: the, my suspicion that he was on holiday for two years. Yeah,
1: <laughs> sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, because of course he was former, he's former legal director of MI5 and MI6. So he has gone on to become a fiction author. And I asked him how you go from working in intelligence to writing fiction. To me, it seemed like a bit of a leap. But he pointed out that when you're part of a legal team, operatives might come to them with a plan. And he said, it wasn't my job to say you can't do that. It was my job to say you can't do it that way, but you can do it this way in a way that was still respectful of the law. So he had to be quite creative. He had to think outside the box. And so he said that was something that he really enjoyed was the imagination behind what he did. So he's previously released a spy thriller that's called The Face of Tomorrow. And he also has a book to be released that's called Katya, What Would You Risk for Half a Billion Dollars? It centers around the character of Katya Petrovna, who is the deputy director of the G8 intelligence agency. As far as I can tell, that's made up. But so the obvious question there is how much does he use from his real life experience of MI five and MI six to write his spy novels.
0: Can't actually write a character on on the base on on, on someone I know. I, I find that too confining because in in the books that they're, they're put into the most amazing situations, dangerous situations, and corrupt situations. And um, one has to have a totally imaginative character to be able to cope with all that. I mean, Katya came about. It was rather curious, really, because my granddaughter said to me one day, do you know, we had a, a talk in class the other day about James Bond, and I told the class and my teacher that you were a spy, and my teacher wouldn't believe me. So I went to the teacher and, and said, hello, and I said, look, actually, my granddaughter was was telling the truth about this. I am a spy, and if you'd like, I'll come and talk to your class about it. Well, this happened, and I was telling them um, about the amazing women in in intelligence. You know, this sort of calmness in in, in the face of danger, and and this sort of amazing ability to think of a number of things at once. And that's really how the world of Katya came about. Katya herself is involved now in in, in a really fast-moving thriller, And in this book, Katya, she's chasing a depraved money launderer who's um, stolen half a billion dollars. And she's going to try and get that back and also arrest him. But the problem is he's stolen the money and he's hidden it. And that's very difficult to find. He's a money launderer par excellence. And he's also protected by a wanted terrorist. So she dives into an area of real danger and
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great book. Uh,
0: Yeah, I like the sound of it a lot. Yeah,
1: David's been a compelling listen and really fun to chat with. So the book is out in a month, July 5th. If you're interested, you can find it. It is called "Katya: What Would You Risk for Half a Billion Dollars? So thanks to David for his stories. It's been a really pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, that was
0: great. So I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys enjoyed it. The Offscript Podcast.
1: We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.